The man who gets most of the props for keeping the Hawaiian language from dying didn't grow up speaking Hawaiian. Larry Kimura grew up speaking English, even though his dad was from Japan and his mom was native Hawaiian. Both of my parents never used their first language with us, their children, except... Larry told me growing up, he felt this push, this immense pressure all around him to forget his culture. But even as a little kid, he was pushing back. He's in his 70s now, and he was telling me about a conversation he was having with his younger brother. He said, we used to go and watch the cowboy and Indian shows at our local theater, and you would be cheering for the Indians. And I said... Yes, and I remember when we played Cowboy and Indian, I always wanted to be the Indian. You were just always drawn to the more indigenous side of you. Yes, yes. It was kind of weird to me to think that um, Hawaiian was so ignored. Because that was part of who we are, we, I am. And we, meaning my family. I knew, of, of course, as I grew up, Japan was very Japanese, and this place, Hawaii, was not very Hawaiian. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. I'm Gene Zembe, and this is Code Switch. From NPR. All right, y'all, so it's still winter. Um, We are all collectively still grappling with this pandemic. But back when outside was open, where we could still travel for work, way back in the spring of 2019, Shireen, you and our colleague, our Coast Switch producer, Kumar Devarajan, and our editor, Leah Danella, took a trip to Hawaii. Yes, we did. And it was one of the most memorable reporting experiences of my life. I'm not going to hate too <laughs> vocally here, <laughs> but I'm hating. And it wasn't memorable just because Hawaii, yes, is one of the most beautiful places in the world, but mm. because we were there to tell a really good story. A story about a man whose voice you just heard, Larry Kimura, about how Larry and how this small group of his students took on a colossal challenge. Mm -hmm. Because they were trying to bring back the Hawaiian language from disappearing because by 1980, almost an entire generation of Hawaiians had basically stopped speaking the language fluently. So there's this group of native Hawaiians who are not native speakers of Hawaiian who decided they just had to do something. And the task ahead of them was daunting. They had to save their language while they were still learning how to speak it. All right, Shereen, I'm ready, desperately ready, for some sun and some sand and some aloha, some lei and some... <laughs> Gene, you know we're not going to the beach, right? Of course. We're actually course. stepping into Larry Kimura's office on the Big Island. Yeah. Larry Kimura. Yeah, this is me. I'm in Kamehameha Schools. I'm in Larry's office flipping through an old Hawaiian language workbook from middle school he had sitting on a shelf. My spelling was bad. You've come a long way, Mr. Oh, Kimura. I, I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> Larry's got a full head of white hair, but that's the only thing that hints at his 73 years. He's sprightly, laughs easily, and on this day, he's wearing a faded purple Hawaiian shirt tucked into a pair of jeans. He was 13 when he took his first Hawaiian class and says he remembers thinking back then that the teacher wasn't taking it seriously enough. He called it Hawaiian light. light. And it was meant to be light, you know. But I just said to myself, thinking, 
If you're going to teach Hawaiian, you should teach it the way it should be taught. <laughs> as, if, as if I knew you know, what it was, because I didn't even speak it. And now, Kaleo, Hawaii. 13 years later, he had his own radio show. Aloha e Hawaii. All in Hawaii. This program is produced by the students at the University of Hawaii's Hui Aloha Aina Tuahine. The show started in 1972. Kaleo Hawaii, the voice of Hawaii, was hosted by a then 26-year-old Larry Kimura. He was a professor at the University of Hawaii at Manoa teaching Hawaiian, and his students helped him produce the show. <laughs> We're listening to Larry's earliest attempt at saving the language and culture he knew was in danger, recording the elders before they passed on. Larry interviewed native speakers whose first language was Hawaiian. On this episode, we're listening to the very first one. Larry's talking with a Hawaiian musical icon who was born in 1897. Johnny Almeida composed hundreds of songs, a lot of them in Hawaiian. He was 75 when Larry interviewed him all about his life, and they listened to some of his music together. The Kaleo Hawaii radio show also served as a teaching tool, not just for Larry's students, but for everyone listening who spoke enough Hawaiian to get the gist of what was being said. Larry knew this because he strengthened his fluency by hanging around the old folks in his family. And then I could ask direct questions, you know, how do you say this? And they would tell me. My grandmother had all these 78 records, you know, those are the kind of records they had on Hawaiian music. I couldn't quite understand. Tell me, what are they singing about? It turned out to be a lot of um, adult type uh, <laughs> love songs, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I assumed Larry's grandma and his aunties and uncles would be overjoyed that he was taking so much interest in learning Hawaiian. But he told me it was complicated. Were they proud of you? Did they ever say? Uh, no, I don't know, no. I don't know if it was um, a Hawaiian thing to do. In fact, I used to ask my mother, how did you learn your Hawaiian? She said, we just, we heard it. And I remember when I started to really use Hawaiian, I mean, I would begin to speak to her too. She would start in speaking Hawaiian back to me, and then she would sort of uh, stop or give up, change into English, and I'd say, why are you not continuing speaking Hawaiian? Then she'd say to me, you're speaking it too good for me to speak it back to you. I think it was a bit confusing for her to see that happen. English was understood to be the most critical thing about being successful. That reticence to speak Hawaiian was super common and can in part be traced back to Hawaii's colonial history. In 1893, a U.S.-backed coup overthrew Hawaii's Queen Liliokalani. Soon after, use of the Hawaiian language was completely banned in government and in schools. We heard stories from so many people about their grandparents and their great-grandparents being beaten and belittled for speaking Hawaiian. Cry for the land that was taken 
That's the late Israel Kamaka Viva Ole singing a song he made famous called Hawaii 78. The 1970s marked a time of renewed pride in Hawaiian culture and identity. You heard that pride in the music from that time. You saw it in the resurgence of hula. And there was also a revival of the Hawaiian ways of farming and seafaring. The 70s is really part of that whole Hawaiian renaissance. You know, we were part of the generation where the women were burning their bras and civil rights, you know, and people were asking, well, how come I can't speak the language of my grandparents? How come they have this and I don't have that? Aloha, my name is Keiki Kawai'aia. I am the director for Kahakaula Oke'eli Kolani College of Hawaiian Language, where we are right now, uh, here at the University of Hawaii Hilo campus. Keiki's Larry Kimura's boss. She has this huge, light-filled office just upstairs from his. But in the late 1970s, she was his student, taking his fourth-year Hawaiian class. And I really wanted to learn Hawaiian well, because I had this big, grand idea that one day when I had children, that Hawaiian would be their first language. Growing up, were you speaking Hawaiian? I had some Hawaiian in my home, words, simple phrases, but not fluent. The only fluency I heard were from my grandparents. Uh, My grandparents were that very first generation when they were in school. They actually used to get hit, humiliated. So when my grandparents had my father, that generation, the majority of that generation did not speak Hawaiian to their children. They were really afraid. But Keiki was afraid of something else. Well, if we don't really pay attention, we will have nothing in our language to pass to our children. And with that is a tumbling domino effect of our songs, our ways, our practices, our arts, our culture, because the language holds all of that intact. For those of you who might have studied abroad in Mexico or Argentina or Spain to help you regain your fluency in Spanish, that's not something Keiki could do. Hawaii is the only place Hawaiian is spoken. So if it stops being spoken, It's gone. You know, once it gets wiped out, that's it. In 1978, Hawaiian was added to the state constitution as an official language. A huge win that resulted from the Hawaiian cultural renaissance of the 60s and 70s. But a win in name only, if almost no one could actually speak Hawaiian. And Professor Larry Kimura knew taking Hawaiian as a second language in college or high school was not going to fix the problem. His radio show, Kaleo Hawaii, was not going to fix the problem. Yeah, it wasn't enough. It was important to have that. But it wasn't going to do it, yeah. He says he'd been teaching Hawaiian at the university level for over a decade when he came to that conclusion. Students come, students go. Students come, students go. Where do those students go? Are they applying it? Are they using it? No. Maybe some of them became teachers of Hawaiian, but that's not going to bring it back to the home and the community. To do that, Hawaii needed a new generation of speakers whose first language was Hawaiian. 
This, he says, would be the most natural way to bring it back. Which is really wasn't natural, but as natural as possible. So in the 1980s, Larry and a small group of other second language learners decided to open a preschool. They called it Punana Leo, Nest of Voices or Nest of Language. Everything was in Hawaiian, no English allowed, which wasn't easy. They needed to develop curricula in Hawaiian for little kids, which didn't exist. They had to create new words because they didn't exist. Hawaiian hadn't been used as an everyday language for most people in Hawaii in almost a century. And they had to change laws. Even after Hawaiian was made an official language in 1978, there was still a federal law in the books that banned its usage as a language of instruction in public schools, which technically meant you couldn't use the Hawaiian language to teach anything, including Hawaiian. Larry says, with all they were up against. The hardest part was how do we get a family to allow us to have their child for the day or the week or the months. (laughs) There was immense pressure from critics who thought centering Hawaiian would hold these kids back from succeeding in an English-speaking society. Some of those critics were family members. That's what nearly a century of colonial history had taught them. Here's Keiki Kavai'ai again. People wondered if our children would be able to read and write and speak English because they were being raised in Hawaiian. Despite all this, Keiki and her husband made the decision to raise their kids in a Hawaiian-only home in the 1980s. There were only about half a dozen of us who were doing that, so it was kind of an isolated feeling. And then as the Punanaleo preschool started to open and we started to gather around this common idea of our children being Hawaiian speakers, so launched our movement. When the toddlers in the Punanaleo were ready for kindergarten, they created a kindergarten. And when it was time for first grade, they made a first grade and so on until they reached 12th grade. Keiki's daughter graduated with the first class of this experimental new school called Kekula O Navahio Kalani Opu'u, Navahi for short. That was 20 years ago. Navahi's class of 1999 had five graduates, and its mission was then, and still is, bring Hawaiian back. That's all. The Hawaiian language shall live. That's Navahi's principle. And we had to hurry up because time was working against us. We were like 100 years late, you know? We'll meet her after the break. Because that's where we're headed. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace, the website builder dedicated to providing customers with easy-to-use, professionally designed templates. Join the millions of graphic designers, architects, lawyers, and other professionals using Squarespace to establish their online presence. Go to squarespace.com NPR for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support also comes from Best Fiends. If you find yourself choosing the longest checkout line, that can only mean one thing. 
you've downloaded Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game, which means where others see a hassle, all you see is a chance to play one more level a few more times. Turn dull moments into pockets of fun. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. On NPR's Consider This podcast, we help you make sense of one big story in the news every day. Like how to combat disinformation and conspiracy theories, which pose a real threat to democracy. And what life looks like after you're vaccinated. The next phase of do's and don'ts. All that in 15 minutes every weekday. Listen now to Consider This from NPR. Gene. Shireen. Code switch. All right, Shireen, so you said that about 40 years ago, this group of Hawaiians who learned to speak their native language as adults set out on this mission to keep that language alive. And they decided the best way to do that was to begin at the beginning. Teach the babies. Because our brains are better at learning languages the younger we are. Mm -hmm. All right, so knowing that these folks took that notion and ran with it, and they created a nonprofit preschool program that turned into a full-fledged public school. That's right. And that school graduated its 20th class of seniors this year. Wow. And all of the instruction at that school is in Hawaiian. All of it. English is taught as a second language. What? Wow. And school employees are required to speak Hawaiian from the groundskeepers to the principal. And that's where you're taking us. It's really hard to believe that in the mid-80s, there were only a handful of kids enrolled in the preschool, the Punanaleo here on the Big Island, because when we got to Navahi, more than 400 kids greeted us outside its front doors. A sophomore stepped forward and gave an impassioned speech about how the students were facing down huge obstacles to bring back Hawaiian. He related their journey to an ancient Hawaiian story about the goddess of Hula, Hiiaka, who took a journey of her own through a forest that was home to a treacherous monster. Her advisor said, don't go that way, there's a safer route. But Hiiaka didn't listen and slew the monster who stood in her way. And then it was our turn to be introduced. Code switch. We spent the day on campus, saw babies as young as nine months old learning Hawaiian through music. We visited different classes. That's a student telling us we're in fifth grade math. The kids were learning about the metric system. We watched the middle school students practice hula during gym. I am the principal of Kekula Onavahi Okalani Opu. 
Kawanoi, the principal of Navahi, was one of Professor Larry Kimura's students and a part of that original group that decided they were not letting Hawaiian die on their watch. And we were all second language learners. And some people say, well, you know, that's not native fluency. But for us, that's what we had, you know. You work with what you have. So for the majority of the families who signed up at the beginning, they were not speakers yet. They became speakers in the course of being together. And then they became teachers. What you observe really fast at Navahi is that this is still a family affair. A lot of teachers and students are related. Same goes for the rest of the staff. Kaunoi married her college sweetheart. They met studying Hawaiian, and they were a part of that first group of families who brought Hawaiian back into the home. It was their children's first language. Kaunoi's eldest son was a part of Navahi's very first graduating class in 1999. So Kaunoi is really serious about how this school is not your typical language immersion school. It's a way of life. Other people come to this school But the program is set up for families who use Hawaiian as the language of the home, and this is the school that they come to. The language is always the core of what Navahi is about, always, always. It cannot be anything else. Uh, Everything else comes after. Three boys blow into conch shells to mark the end of the school day. For the kids. The pencil is on the table. How do we start? But on Thursday nights, school's back in session for the adults. Navahi has four levels of Hawaiian to help parents who want to speak more with their children at home. We're in level one. And tonight, everyone's learning how to ask where something is and how to answer that question. Where's the pencil? The pencil's on the table. Where are my soccer cleats? Your cleats are in the garage. Basic things kids might ask at home. So find a partner. Each one of you comes up with three questions. There are about a dozen adults in level one this evening. Most are dads. I cornered a few after class. Aloha. My kind of Mitchell Peters. Oh, my name is Earl Kaivi. And what brings you to class? I live the Hawaiian life, but I don't talk too much Hawaiian, so I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful that they have this class for us parents so we can pick up and learn along with our kids. Because I'm outnumbered at my house. <laughs> Who else is outnumbered at their house? Are you outnumbered too? Oh, my name is Tai Makanui. I'm a father of two um, children. And uh, along like Mitch, I'm outnumbered at home because my, my wife, she works at the um, Hawaiian Language College. Did your wife make you feel like you had to come here or are you coming on your own volition? No, I'm coming on my own to to learn so I can um, conversate with my kids and understand what they're saying, um, talk stories and stuff. But then, you know, my oldest one, he's way more advanced because he's, he's already in uh, Papa Ikahi, the first grade. And then he's always correcting me. He go, no, that's not correct. You're not saying it. So I always re- go back to English. These guys are learning Hawaiian much later in life. Ty and Earl are in their 40s, and Mitchell's in his late 50s. Do you feel like it's changed you in any way, learning more Hawaiian? I guess Hawaiians have a very deep culture. It helps you reconnect. For me, it brought me, I guess, closer to the land, to the people. Um, My grandma was pure Hawaiian, but 
she always told me that they, they wasn't allowed to talk Hawaiian. It was kind of like, they was banned from talking Hawaiian. She felt like I needed to learn English. Now I'm trying to learn Hawaiian. It's um, not that not easy for learning at this age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ty told a similar story to Earl's. When he was a kid, he'd help out at his uncle's taro patch with his cousins, and he remembers the old folks talking to each other in Hawaiian. But in same like him, they would say like, no, we're not teaching you guys. They look down on you guys if you guys learn the language. It wasn't, I guess, popular, you could say, like how it is now. The very popular language learning app, Duolingo, added Hawaiian to its roster of languages in October of 2018. And today in Hawaii, there are a dozen kindergartens and nearly two dozen schools that are referred to as Hawaiian immersion, which can mean different things. Right now, Navahi's the only school that takes a child from nine months old through high school graduation entirely in Hawaiian. One thing everyone we spoke with stressed was that in order for a language to thrive, it can't be stuck in a classroom. So we visited one of the Navahi families that use Hawaiian in their home. Mom, Pele Harmon, and Dad, Kekoa Harmon, have dedicated their lives to fortifying their culture. Pele teaches fifth and sixth grades at Navahi. Kekoa is an associate professor of Hawaiian language and Hawaiian studies at the University of Hawaii's Hilo campus. Both teach hula after school four days a week, and they've raised all three of their kids in Hawaiian. It was 6.45 a.m. when we showed up at their house. Everyone was getting ready for school or work, pouring coffee, cracking open cans of green tea, warming up cheese danishes, and finally sitting around the kitchen table to check in about what's for dinner, after school plans, weekend plans, typical family stuff. I had a chance to speak with Pele and her oldest daughter, who graduates this year as Navahi's valedictorian. So, Kalamanamana, Kala is the sun, and then Manamana, um, rays. So, rays of the sun, that's what my name means. They're sitting right next to each other. Both daughter and mother have beautiful white flowers in their dark hair. She's always been a morning person. You know, the sun rises and so does she. Now at night, it's a totally different story. She takes on the persona of maybe an elderly person at night. (laughs) Kalamanamana is definitely that firstborn child the parents rely on to be the responsible caretaker. She gets good grades, she looks out for her little brother and sister, and she's also the first of her family in two generations to grow up speaking Hawaiian as her first language. Her parents, Pele and Kekoa, started learning Hawaiian in college in the 90s. And we, when we started our family, we decided, okay, we're, we're all in. We're going to, for both of our families, we're going to reclaim um, Hawaiian as our, our language. Yeah, and so that's where um, Kalamanamana was raised. That was her first language growing up. And after that, the rest of our children, we have a son, Kaumoli'i. How old is he? He's 13. <laughs> 13 going on 30. He thinks he's, he thinks he's older than that. And then um, Nali'i Poimoko, our youngest daughter, who's 12. Within both of our families, we would have had, you know, two generations of a gap of not being able to speak our language. And then um, seeing that in our kids, 
it really is a blessing to have been able to watch them grow up and um, see the world in a very different way that I think would have been more in align with the way that my great-grandmother saw the world around her with a better understanding of Hawaii. What was it like growing up? Because yeah. she had no choice, you know, we just kind of yeah. forced her to do it. Sometimes, I guess, family members who didn't speak Hawaiian um, had a hard time understanding me because I was always mixing Hawaiian and English. So that was kind of difficult for me at times to communicate with others. But um, through being a part of Kikulao Navajo Kalaniopu, being a student here, has um, given me a lot of blessings. Um, being enriched in my Hawaiian language and my culture, understanding where my ancestors came from. It was I know it was very difficult for her. I, I mean, she had to learn the Hawaiian language later in life. And I know that I have a responsibility to um, work hard for my mother and my father because they worked hard for, to put me and my siblings in this sort of education. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> They're looking at one another and talking in Hawaiian, and both of them have tears in their eyes. Kalamanamana is a member of Navahi's 20th graduating class, soon to be a freshman at Dartmouth College, a world away in New Hampshire. Okay, you have to go home. Yeah. And I talked more about that big step with her mom, Pele, after she left to catch the bus. Oh, gosh. It's so funny because I... I I rarely get to hear her speak English, you know. I asked Pele how she felt about her daughter leaving for college, knowing she most likely won't encounter another Hawaiian speaker in New Hampshire. So she probably won't be speaking the language day in and day out. And knowing there's absolutely no guarantee she'll move back to Hawaii after college. It'll allow her to spread her wings a little bit, learn as much as she can, and then come back and help our people move our language forward, move our culture forward. Um, our school motto is no ane'i kokakola, which means that no ane'i, we're, we're from this place. Um, and this is the place that has given us life. Um, another poetic, I guess a way of putting it is kulaivi, which is the land of the bones of my ancestors. And so to answer your question, that was a really long one. She'll be back, she'll be back. Is the language still in danger, in your opinion, after all of this work? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, English is so too strong. Still is too strong. Professor Larry Kimura is referred to these days as the grandfather of the Hawaiian language revitalization movement. And he's still worried about the fate of Hawaiian. When they decided to start that Punanaleo, that preschool... There were about 50 native speakers under the age of 18. And it's hard to get a good handle on the numbers today, but one study from a few years back estimated there were more than 5,000 fluent Hawaiian speakers under the age of 18. That's progress. But Professor Kimura says you still can't do basic things yet, like walk into any bank or post office or grocery store and speak Hawaiian let alone government offices or the courts. It's one of Hawaii's official languages, after all. So he says the next step 
is for these young people who graduate from Navahi to push for Hawaiian to be spoken all over Hawaii. So speaking the language isn't unique. It's normal. And ultimately, he hopes no one will even know there was a decades-long struggle to make it that way. Hopefully, nobody's going to remember how it all came to be. That's the hope. Yeah, that would be the hope. All right, y'all, that's our show. This story originally aired way back in 2019. When we could go outside and report, and I missed that so much. I cannot yes. wait until we can do that again. In the interim, you can interact with us virtually. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. And you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash codeswitch. Big, big thanks to Kuuvehi Haraishi from Hawaii Public Radio, Namaka Rollins, and Sarah Keholani Gu, who first told us about Larry Kimura and his radio show. Thank you, Sarah. Um, he actually interviewed her great grandmother for the show, which oh, is amazing. Wow, yeah. This episode was edited by Lee Danella and Steve Drummond with help from Sarah. Field production in Hawaii was by Kumari Devarajan, Leah Danella. A studio production by Kumari Maria Paz Gutierrez and me. And of course, we got to shout out the rest of the Code Switch Massive. That's Karen Grisby Bates. That's Alyssa Jong Perry. That's Jess Kong. That's Natalie Escobar. That's L.A. Johnson. And our intern is the indispensable Summer Tomad. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Be easy, Maluhia. Neuroscientist Kimberly Noble wants to know, if a family gets more money... Does it directly impact children's cognitive development? Ideas about the brain. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.